excited for this afternoon. This afternoon, last night is, I think, is the best time for the people that, that come to the Holy Spirit encounter because they get to, they get to practice and, and experience the power of God in them and through them, and it's pretty exciting. But today, I get to hear all those stories, and I get to hear about what God uh, has, has been doing all weekend, and so I'm excited to, to hear about that. It really is great to be here with you this morning, and, uh, and I'm excited about what God has been doing and what God's going to continue to do here at Cornerstone. Um, wonderful to, to worship together with you. That's one of the privileges of, of being in this role, is I get to worship in a lot of different churches and experience a lot of different worship songs and worship leaders and, and corporate worship, and it's great. And so I want to, we, we do have a huge district. I, I'm pretty sure it's the largest alliance district in the world. I don't have any uh, documentation on that, but I think it is. One of the other cool things is it has the longest coastline of any district in Canada. And I love to remind my, my peers from British Columbia of that, uh, but then they remind me that most of our coastline is frozen. So not really beach places to go. Anyway, uh, I want to bring you greetings on behalf of the uh, 74 other Alliance churches in our district and certainly from our district uh, office folks. This morning I want to talk about the power of the Spirit. I want to just continue on with that theme that we've been looking at all weekend. And uh, I want to read with you Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 25. And so it's going to be on the screen. Uh, if you want to follow along in your own Bibles, feel free to turn to Acts chapter 9. I'll be beginning, pardon me, Acts chapter 8, I will begin at verse 9. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He had boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers here, there, pardon me, that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing that you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Back in the day uh, uh, before the digital age, some of you will remember that, when, when televisions used to be huge, it wasn't just that they were big this way, but they were, they were deep and high and heavy. 
And they had huge tubes called picture tubes. And, and in the back, when I was a little kid growing up, in the back, there were, there were many, many little different tubes. And I remember as a kid, we didn't own a television, but my dad worked for a farmer, and the farmer had a television. And as kids, we would go over and watch. Of course, it was black and white back in those days. Um, and, and I remember the, the TV repairman coming, and I would sit... The TV was was at one end of the of the living room, and I would sit at the other end, probably about three or four years old, and I would just be fascinated watching the television repairman. He would come in and he would open up his big black bag. He usually had two, one with tools and one with tubes. And ironically, I actually ended up working for that guy uh, many many years later as an electrician. But I would I would watch him, and he would open that up, and he had a a little tester, and he would pull the tubes out, and one by one he would check the tester or the tube with this tester and he would figure out which which tube was not working and he would replace it and boom there would be the tv would be working again as well as it did back in those days it wasn't high definition let me assure you of that um i i also remember a cartoon and in the cartoon there was one of these television repairmen and he was kneeling beside this television with a puzzled look on his face and he had tubes spread all over the floor around him and he had a question mark over his head and totally perplexed because he couldn't get this television working and as you look at that cartoon carefully you realize it's unplugged now it doesn't matter how digital television is it needs power or it's not going to work. There's no possible way that that television was going to work without that power cord plugged in. And the Christian life is not unlike that television. There's absolutely no way that we can completely fulfill our purpose, the purpose for which Christ created us as a follower of his if we're not connected to the power source. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, um, Paul writes, Ever since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking the Lord our God, pardon me, the Lord our Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. I talked a little bit about this yesterday, but but that power that, that God places in us by the Holy Spirit is the same power that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That's the power that is indwelling us. And God has made available to us that power. Every believer has that available to them. Obviously, it doesn't come automatically, or Paul wouldn't have prayed for the Ephesian believers as he did. And I fear that many of us, like that television, are unplugged. We have not accessed the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in a way that will enable us to live out the kingdom purpose for which we have been called through Christ. So as we examine these verses in Acts chapter 8, I want us to consider how we might more fully engage the power of the Spirit in our lives. And so we begin by talking about the human 
priority from verses 9 and 11 to 11. All of us, unfortunately, are, are children of Adam. That heritage brings with it a curse, the curse of sin. Scripture talks about the curse of sin in, in Genesis chapter 3. It's a curse of independence, that independent mind, that independent thinking. It was Adam and Eve who fell to Satan's deception in the Garden of Eden that they could be like God, that they could know the difference between good and evil, and they could actually be like God. And we continue to have that attitude. We continue to fall to that temptation that we can be like God, that we can do it on our own. One of the greatest impediments that people uh, are, are face in embracing this new life in Christ is that prerequisite of acknowledging that we are incapable of providing for our own salvation. We've, we're pretty sure that if we try hard enough and work at it long enough, we can figure this out. The truth of the matter is we cannot. We don't want to admit our failure. We don't want to admit that we have some flaw that we might not be able to overcome on our own. And pride takes over as we seek to devise ways of making ourselves acceptable to God. And so the human priority is actually captured in a very popular children's book uh, written by a, a, an author named Emily Kingsley, where a little child declares, I can do it by myself. And we are so much like that little child. I can do it by myself. I can figure out my life on my own. I don't need some God telling me what to do. In Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 11, we see Simon amazing people with his sorcery. And when they proclaim that he is a divine power known as the great God, he accepts their adoration. Simon, I think, was pretty fortunate that he survived that incident. In Acts chapter 12, the people proclaimed Herod as the voice of a God, not of a man. And when he didn't give praise to God, when he didn't stop them from praising him, God actually killed him. It says in Scripture, immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. Simon survived that foolishness. He provided Simon, God provided Simon an opportunity to repent of that and to recognize the extent of God's power that was available to him. And so the human priority places humanity at the head of all things. There's little room for God in the lives of people. During the Age of Enlightenment, way back in the, in the 1600s, a philosophical viewpoint emerged known as deism, which believed that there was a God, believed that God had created all of the earth. But then he kind of got tired of it, and he turned around, and he went, and he went off and did his own thing. And he said, well, we'll let those, those people there that I've created, we'll let them handle things on their own. And, and God still exists, according to deism, but he's off looking after some other kind of business. And I wonder sometimes if even within the church, we have that mentality, that God is expecting us all on our own to get things figured out and to do what needs to be done. That's never been God's plan. From the earliest days in the Garden of Eden, God has taken an active interest in his creation, particularly in the lives of people. You remember from that story in Genesis chapter 3 that God was actually walking in the garden looking for Adam and Eve after they had sinned. He wanted to speak with Adam and Eve as he apparently had done times before. 
Adam and Eve experienced the divine interruption in their lives in in chapter 3, verse 8, as God came into the garden again to talk to them. And the coming of Jesus into the world was the ultimate divine interruption. It was the ultimate interruption into human history from God. But even throughout the Old Testament, God constantly was interrupting people. He interrupted Noah, got him to build a great big ship out in the middle of of the plains. He interrupted Abraham. He interrupted Jacob and Joseph. And we haven't even made it out of Genesis yet. There were divine interruptions throughout the Old Testament as God came into people's lives, interrupted them, and revealed himself to them. And in Acts chapter 8, the people in Samaria were happily going about their, their lives, exalting Simon the sorcerer, being excited about all that he could do. And then God sent Philip to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And many people were baptized believed and were baptized as a result of that divine interruption. So the coming of Christ into our human lives is always an interruption. It's always an interruption because we are in one direction, thinking about ourselves, gratifying our own desires, doing what we want to do, calling the shots, and suddenly God turns us around and says, wait a minute, you're going, you should be going this way. And when we receive Christ, that's exactly what happens and we start going in a totally opposite direction. It's no longer about satisfying our desires. It's now about glorifying God. Naturally, we are a a self-focused, independent, proud, even arrogant group of people. And when God reveals himself to us, our, our feeling of superiority is interrupted by one that is far beyond our comprehension. We recognize when we come face to face with God that he is so much higher than us, just as his word says. And so the people of Samaria became followers of Christ. They became citizens of the kingdom of God. They became Christians. That reality is clearly established in verses 12 and 13. They began to follow the good news. And yet in spite of clearly becoming Christ followers in verses 15 through 17, these same people in a separate incident received the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know that from Acts 6 that Philip had been chosen as one of the deacons of the early church. So so he was filled with the Holy Spirit, it says in Acts chapter 6 when they were chosen. We discover that Philip was guided by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 8 to answer the questions of an Ethiopian eunuch traveling from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip preached the good news of the kingdom to the people in Samaria in Acts 8, 12, and they responded. They believed Philip's message. The people were baptized in obedience to Christ. And yet when Peter and John arrived, they prayed that the Holy Spirit would come upon these new believers. Often when I speak to people about experiencing the fullness of the Spirit, they ask why they need something extra. We cannot be born again apart from the work of the Spirit in our lives, and that's absolutely true. And so they say to me, we we received the Holy Spirit when we were converted, when we became followers of Christ. In John chapter 3, Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, and he says, you cannot be born again unless the Spirit of God moves you. And so there's no question that when we become followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit is interacting in our lives. He's working in our lives. But we see from this passage in Acts chapter 8 and, and from some, several other passages in the New Testament that there is indeed more. There, we haven't got everything at that moment. God calls us to greater and greater obedience. 
God calls us to deeper and deeper surrender. God calls us to invite more and more of him into our lives. Catherine and I have, my wife, Catherine and I, have seven grandchildren, and and it's amazing to watch their development. It's amazing to watch how each one develops uniquely. They're all so different, and in their own way they develop, and at their own speed they develop. But You know, there wasn't one of them that was born and sat down on the floor and began to walk. Not one of them was born and the next day began to talk. Our first granddaughter, Faith, is a climber. And we gave her a toy slide for her birthday, her first birthday. It was about three feet high or so. And she loved to climb up that ladder. It it took her probably 30 seconds to figure out how to go up those steps and start sliding down the ladder. And, uh, pardon me, the slide. And she was far more interested, actually, in climbing the ladder. The slide was just a way to get back down so she could get back up the ladder. She was at our home about five years ago. We were making the transition from, uh, from Saskatoon to Regina, and we were doing a number of renovations to try to get our home fixed up to, to, to sell. And there was a stepladder accessible. She was, she was a, about a month over one year old at that point. She came to the end of that hallway, and she saw that stepladder, and she just, she just made a beeline. Grandma was right on the case. She knew what was coming. And, and so Faith climbed that ladder, and she realized it was even higher than her slide, and she just loved it. She went right up to the top. Like, you know where it says, do not step on this? She didn't. She can't read. So she just kept going. Fear of heights does not hold her back. I, I could give, show you another picture. I, I didn't have it on my, on my computer where she's actually now uh, six years old. She does a climbing wall now, and she's just up there like a, like a monkey. She has no fear of heights. Yeah, she gets bumps and bruises, but that's just the price you pay. There are many aspects of a child's development that take time. They, they, they don't happen automatically. And so it is with our spiritual development. It takes time. We can slow our development down if we're afraid to take that first step. Or if we're satisfied with doing what we're doing and being where we're being. God never forces us to climb the ladder. Just as Faith's parents never forced her to climb that slide. But we don't automatically experience the fullness of the Spirit after we've been born again. It's rooted in human rebellion. That's why we don't. In Acts chapter 8, verse 13, we read that Simon the sorcerer was one of those who believed the message of Philip. He believed in Jesus Christ. But the curse of independence, that human rebellion, now caused him to once again want to rise to prominence. He wanted to have the front row seat, and this time within the kingdom of God. He recognized the validity and the reality and the need of the message of the kingdom. But he wanted to be elevated. And so now, even though he was a follower of Jesus Christ, even though he had taken that most basic step of obedience by being baptized in accordance with the instruction of Jesus Christ, he still had that yearning, that human yearning to be honored. Give me also this ability so that everyone in whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon wanted to be able to do it. He didn't want to be reliant on or dependent on God. He wanted to be in complete control, even of the giving of the Holy Spirit, even controlling God. And Peter's response was harsh. 
calling into question the attitude, the very attitude of Simon's heart, identifying the rebelliousness that Simon had not yet dealt with in his own life. And in many ways, the lesson that Simon learned here in Acts 8 is similar to the struggle that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6 and 7. He says, so I find this work, this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? You see, Paul, more than anything else, wanted to honor God with his life. He had the knowledge of what it would take to honor God. And yet when he tried to live that God-honoring life, he failed miserably. He recognized that. And that's the challenge for all of us. As we are spiritually born into the kingdom of God, our eyes are opened to see what could be, to see what God has accomplished in our lives, what he could accomplish in and through our lives, to see the bigger picture of what he has not only created us for, but redeemed us to be. Unfortunately, human rebellion remains, and and the battle for complete, complete control of our lives really begins. The battle for holiness begins. And many followers of Christ cry out, as Paul did, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I want to be obedient, but I see another law at work waging war against the law of, my, of God, making, my mind and, making me and my mind a prisoner of the law of sin and death at work within me. What a wretched man I am. And so who will rescue us from this body of sin and death? As we sincerely ask that question, as we, as we sincerely desire to be all that Christ has called us to be, we see the divine response up there. We see the divine response in verses 22 to 25, where Peter challenges Simon to repent. He challenges him to turn away from his attitude of rebellion. And then in verse 24, it appears as though Simon does indeed repent. And he asks Peter to pray for him. And that's the last time we hear about Simon. We don't know whether, whether his repentance was genuine and sincere. We don't know whether he went on to serve God or how he went on to serve God or whether his rebellious attitude and his love of, of the limelight actually took control. We do know that we have received from Scripture a pattern for experiencing the power of the Spirit in our lives. And before we can even consider engaging the power of the Spirit, obviously we must be born again. That's the very first step. We must accept the good news of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. We must become citizens of the kingdom of God. And part of being a citizen of the kingdom of God is to desire to be obedient to the knowledge and the understanding that we have. So to take that next step of obedience, whatever it might be, we know that Simon's first step was to be baptized, and that's a key step of obedience, baptism. There are certain expectations for followers of Christ, primarily that we will follow him in freedom. Follow him in freedom. It's interesting that we aren't called to freedom to do whatever we want. And if we look at the Exodus experience in the Old Testament, we know that as as, uh, Moses went in to talk to Pharaoh, he said, set my people free. 
Not so that they could go and do whatever they wanted. No, so that they could come and worship their God. And so God says to us, Jesus Christ, I want to set you free, not to do whatever you want, but so that you can come and glorify me. We are set free to be followers of Christ. And once we become followers of Christ, our eyes are open to the possibilities, to the opportunities that are inherent in being a citizen of God's kingdom. However, our eyes are also opened to the realities of our inadequacies, to the realities of how often we fall short of what we desire to be. And genuine sorrow results as we realize that we cannot honor God, Christ with our lives as we want to. We cannot respond to the sacrifice of Christ made on our behalf as we desire to. And it seems as though the more determined that we are to honor God, the more drastically we fail. And it's not that our failure is any greater, it's just that we see it with totally different eyes. We see it with the eyes of Christ. We can be overcome with a sense of hopelessness. We can give up. We can turn away from Christ. I love that first song. Those who have turned away, he calls back. And he graciously opens his arms to welcome us back. He is the rescuer from whatever our situation might be. God has a better way. He wants us to repent of our failure. He wants us to surrender more fully to him. He wants us to invite the power that raised Christ from the dead to inhabit more and more and more of our life. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus encouraged his followers to ask God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. His followers. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more will our Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We must not overlook the call of repentance. We must prepare ourselves for the coming of the Holy Spirit. We need to acknowledge that left to ourselves, we find little worthy of repentance in our lives. I'm pretty good. I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well. I've been a believer for 40 years. It's very human of us to think that we're doing well. We need to allow God to do the examination. And you know what? I am doing a lot better than I was 40 years ago. That's the truth. But I need to allow God to continue to examine me. We need to use David's pattern in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. You test me. You know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. We need God's eyes to examine our hearts. Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it, he asks. And then God says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. If we are serious about being all that God redeemed us to be in the power of the Spirit for the glory of God, then we need to take action. 
Whenever we examine the word of God, we should have some reasonable way in which the word can be put into practice in our lives. And so even every time Pastor Joel preaches, uh, we need to figure out how am I going to take what he has said, how am I going to take what he has taught and the spirit has convicted me of and build that into my life. And so I, I want us to think about this reality. If I want to be all that Christ intends me to become, I must invite the Holy Spirit to come in his fullness. I cannot fulfill the purposes of God for my life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. God has called us to something far beyond what we can do on our own. But he has also empowered us to do that. And so I need to to think about that. and, And if I want to become all that Christ intends for me to become, I must invite the Holy Spirit to come in his fullness. And that's a daily thing. And so I'm going to make time this week to ask God to search my heart. And I will repent of the sin that he reveals. And I will invite the Holy Spirit to control my life. Rob Reamer is coming in in April. And I I strongly encourage you to come and to engage in the Soul Care Conference. And I'm going to use an illustration that he often uses. Don't tell him I told you. But he talks about going on a trip. And when he comes back, Uh, He's got a suitcase packed full of stuff, and when he comes back, he has to empty out the old clothes, the dirty clothes, before he can pack the new stuff in. And that's a great visual. And that's what our Christian life is like. We are on a journey toward Christ. We are on a journey toward all that he is calling us into. But along the way, we have to stop every once in a while and unpack the old clothes, the dirty clothes, the sin that's there, the sin that accumulates, the sin that, that has been there for a long, long time that we've never actually dealt with before we could put in the new clothes, before we can put in the new stuff that he wants to put in. And so as we come around the table this morning, the table reminds us of all that Jesus provides for us. And as we come around this table, I want to encourage you to spend some time prayerfully considering how does God want you to respond? What are the things that God wants you to do this week Is it to set aside some time simply to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart? Is it to to talk to somebody that was at the Holy Spirit encounter and say, help me to figure out how to be more full of the Holy Spirit, or Pastor Joel, or, or, or Pastor Jordy? Don't leave here today content to live your life, continue to live your life the way it's been. There's always another level. It doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. There's always more. Paul talks about wanting the followers of Christ to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's a lot of God. And that's what he wants for each one of us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we cannot comprehend you fully. Father God, you are far beyond anything that we can grasp. Your word says that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You are an infinite, omniscient, omnipresent, almighty God. And our minds are finite. We cannot grasp your fullness. But Lord, it it is part of your plan to reveal yourself more and more and more to us. It is part of your plan as we open ourselves and surrender ourselves to you to fill us more and more with your spirit. And so I pray that today, wherever we are in our journey toward you, 
that we would determine to be obedient to the next step that you call us to as we reflect on your desires for our lives.